Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Avarilla. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, workers. So, yeah, it won't be too long before you will start to hear folks say, yeah, we need some help next next year at VBS. Uh, you'll, the, the call will go out. We, we need some help at VBS, and we need all kinds of things. We need folks to help in the kitchen. We need folks to help in the games. We need folks to help kind of with security sorts of issues. We need folks to help as guides, and there will be something of a casting call as well, because we will need people to play certain roles. This year it was Surf Shack, and so we needed uh, Snappy and Skip is that right? What was Austin? What was your skipper? Right? Snappy and Skipper played a role. You've seen Rex and the Dudettes, and then this crew at the bottom. These were the folks who had the responsibility to act out some very important biblical stories through the week. You know, uh, I read not too long ago somebody who is a, a pastor but also a scholar said, How should we access scripture? How should we understand our interaction with scripture? Are we just reading it so as to retain it? Or what's a better way for us to interact with Scripture? And here's what he said. We, we should probably understand ourselves as people who are given the task and the responsibility to perform Scripture. To perform Scripture. No, not in a, not in a dishonest sort of way, right? Not in a dishonest sort of way so that you are merely play acting. Uh, I've talked to you about this before. There are actors, but then there are method actors. And method actors aren't acting. By the time they get to the set, by the time they get to the stage, they so immerse themselves into the character that by the time they get there and the cameras are turned on, they are this person. They are not acting. They are these people that they are portraying. Now, I went back as often as I could to the Children's Worship Center where these folks were acting out these stories. I want to tell you something. Underrated comedic value back there. There was some incredible, incredible underrated comedic value back there. They did such a great job of bringing scripture to life. Now, I want us to at least mentally, and where imagination is concerned, do that with this particular passage of scripture. So I want to kind of set the stage for you again, and I want you to be able to kind of think through, think through the the sounds, the sights and sounds in the room, and I want you to be thinking, what role might I best play? In this scene coming up, there's only three actors, There's an actress and two actors. But in this scene that we're about to to walk through, here here are the the players. You have Jesus, who has been invited to the home of a Pharisee. Not sure why. Not sure why. Maybe it's with the best of intentions to try to learn more about this Jesus. Maybe it's not the best of intentions. Maybe he's trying to do some reconnaissance and understand this Jesus better so as to discredit him. I'm not sure. But you have Jesus, you have a Pharisee, And then you have a very honest woman. You have a very honest woman. A very honest woman. Now, this is a woman who has a reputation in the city. So much so that everybody, she's one of those people who has such a reputation in the city that everybody, including the Pharisee, seems to know kind of who she is and what she's about. But she enters this scene Not as the woman of the city, but as the person Jesus says that she is. Does that make some sense? 
She enters this particular scene, not as the woman of the city, the woman walking the streets. She enters this city, enters this scene, enters this this room as the forgiven person of God. So far, so good? All right. So that's the scene we're going to work through, but just very quickly in terms of some background information, after our passage last week where Jesus actually touches this platform and raises a young man to life and gives him back to his mother and kind of salvages her life as well, this word goes out, who is this Jesus character? And it gets all the way back to John the Baptist who in prison is asking these very important questions. Now, are you the one or are you a play actor? Are you really the Messiah who's on the way? Or are you just somebody who's just posturing himself as that person? Jesus answered, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. All of this language is super loaded with meaning. And they would have known instinctively, having heard all of these words before, all of these words and phrases are referencing this change agent known as the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, you can see the evidence for yourselves. I am that Messiah. And that last line, very important, blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. I would submit to you that if Jesus were walking the streets of Oklahoma City, there would be times when the church people would be very offended and embarrassed by him. That's probably what a good place for an amen, but okay, whatever. So these Pharisees who were embarrassed by this Jesus and the posture of, of God that this Jesus represented, watch this, refused to be baptized. They refused to be initiated and brought into the movement, the movement whereby God would reach all the people through the specific people. And listen to these horrifying words right here out of Luke 7, 29 and 30. But by refusing to be baptized by him, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. Wow. But by refusing to be brought into God's redemptive purposes, by refusing to be identified with the people who have this giant redemptive purpose with a capital P, by refusing to align themselves with Jesus, but by insisting that they would only be aligned with the law, the legal code, they rejected God. And they still do. When we opt for the legal code as opposed to Jesus, we reject God, not just our jobs, we reject God. Church, church, hear this. When we reject Jesus, when we reject, when we reject our role, when we prioritize the law and the legal code and the articulation of right belief over the companionship of Jesus, we reject God and that purpose. So, the Pharisee, who invited Jesus to his home, was perhaps one of these who refused to be baptized. Now does that give you some sense of the ambiance of that room? This Pharisee refused to be aligned with Jesus, counted as one with Jesus. He invites Jesus to his home. It is not a surprise then that he's not a great host. Because a great host, way back when, at a dinner party, a great host would do these sorts of things. Make sure that your feet were washed and cleansed because the journeys tended to be hard. And they would anoint your head with oil, a sign of blessing and welcome and hospitality. In fact, there would be this great gesture of welcome and hospitality, this embrace that might even include a kiss to say, you are welcome, you are here with me, you are identified with me, we will take you, you are one of us. And strangely, this Pharisee 
though he had invited Jesus to the home, had not done any of this for Jesus. So Jesus was, his, was in his home, but I am not sure that he was a guest. In fact, the Pharisee, who had actually offered the invitation, was not even acting as the host. But there is a host, and there is a guest. So one of these Pharisees asked Jesus to eat. Now you can see, I wanted you to see this image here. Typically what would happen is, there would be this dinner party, and people like Jesus would come in, and they would lay down, mostly on their stomachs, but leaning on their left arm, and they would, with their right arm, take the food and eat. And so their feet would be behind them. That's sort of the way this would all go. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, in the city, you might even call her a woman of the city, who was a sinner, we kind of all know what that means, having learned that he was eating in Pharisee's house, brought something very valuable, very expensive, brought this alabaster jar of ointment, who knows how long she had to save up for this, who knows how she got it, but it had incredible street value, and she brought it, what was she going to do with it? She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, but I bet smiling. There's there's weeping that happens when there's no joy, right? You've seen people weep like that. But have you ever seen someone weep in joy? This is that kind of weeping. And she began to bathe his feet with her tears. That's a lot of tears. (laughs) That's a lot of joy. And she dried them with her hair, which means she had to sort of unfold, let her hair down. Now, hear this. This was unheard of. In fact, it was kind of religiously illegal. Don't come to our dinner party unannounced. Don't come in and touch another man's feet. Whatever you do, don't let your hair down and touch that man's feet. All of this, all of this, when you were walked in with this supposed reputation that rendered you unclean, at least in our eyes. And by the way, since you're unclean and you touched him and he let you, kind of talked about this last week, now Jesus is unclean. Way to go. Now Jesus is unclean. Not only was she washing, kissing his feet, but she was anointing them with the ointment. And so... Wondering, doing some reconnaissance, trying to figure out who this Jesus is, wondering what was going on, Simon the Pharisee said to himself, it's an important point, said to himself, so not out loud, everybody with me? If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. What is astonishing to me In this statement of Simon's, what is astonishing to me is his lack of self-awareness. Which is always astonishing to me when someone will stand in one corner, point at the people in the other corner and say, those people are all sinners. That is immediately, you can understand it to be an astonishing lack of self-awareness. Can I tell you why? We're all in the sinner corner. No? Yes. No, 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 no. I remember date and time when 
I allowed Jesus to perfect me, and I've not sinned since. Well, you just kind of did right there. That's not how this works. The standard is not perfect behavior. The standard is Christ-likeness. And when we say Christ-likeness, we mean love and passion. If somehow you made a decision long ago or a week ago that allows you to say, I no longer sin, I am perfect, and I am not going to be around people who aren't, I don't know what kind of decision you make, but it wasn't a Jesus-shaped decision. You may have made the decision to be protected and well-behaved. That does not necessarily equal Christian. Now, if you're going to be Christian, I would like for you to be well-behaved. That said, the world needs fewer Christians who are unloving and well-behaved and more Christians who are loving, even if they're not perfectly behaved. So, Jesus, because he's a prophet and more than a prophet, knows what is happening inside the head of this Pharisee. He said, hey, I got a story I want to tell you. I want to say something to you. (laughs) It's interesting. Simon, in referencing Jesus, says, teacher, speak. So already he's not even allowing him to be the prophet. At best, you're a teacher who says kind of cool things that somebody else wrote. Go ahead. What you got for me? And Jesus said, suppose there was this creditor who had two debtors. One, who, now a, a denarius was a day's wages. One of these debtors owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, could not Now, the language here is not that they had chosen not to pay. They did not have the wherewithal. They did not have the means to pay one who owed 500 denarii and another who owned 50. When they could not pay, he just canceled the debts. Now, some of you should be a little frustrated by that. This is not the way the business world works. This is not good business. Somebody's losing money here. Some of you, if you allow yourself to make the transition so that we're not talking about finances but talking about morality, now you're really frustrated because you've been raised with this thought that when there is offense, there must be judgment. Good news. There is judgment. The judgment is not guilty. The judgment here is pardoned. Pardoned. When they could not pay, he pardoned. He canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Okay. The Pharisee said, well, I would imagine, uh, I guess the one who owed the greater debt. You have judged correctly. And then he asked this amazing question of this religious person. Hear this, everybody. Jesus asked this amazing question of this religious person. It goes something like this. Hey, Simon, I know you saw her come in, but do you see her? Oh, let that, let that hit you, okay? Simon obviously have seen, has seen this woman come in because he is outraged, outraged at the display in front of him. Simon, Simon. Do you see her? 
some of us are better at spotting sin than we are at seeing people. Some of us have been raised to be really good at spotting sin, and some of us have been raised to be good at spotting sin, but not necessarily to see people. You're never supposed to be able to see the sin separated from the person. It's person. Simon, you're not seeing her is a word of judgment against you. Because, watch, who has really demonstrated the posture of faith that God wants us to embody. Because, Simon, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, watch this, therefore I tell you, it's going dead, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. And having been forgiven, now she shows great love. Hey, watch, watch. I'm not trying to talk any of you out of being Christian. What I want to say to you is there are lots of ways to begin the life of faith. I don't think they are all equally reliable. Some people can begin the life of faith in utter fear. I do not want to be punished. God, please uh, take me. God will take you. God's loving. God will take you. Some of you began out of a deep sense of guilt. Oh, I'm, so, I'm bad, and I'm really sorry. God, take me. God loves you. God will take you even then. But the most reliable bedrock of faith goes something like this. God, your grace knows me better than I know myself, knows all that there is to know about me, and you still choose me. And I'm so taken by this thought that I don't know how to live other than to say thank you and live out this response that embodies the I love you. There is no kind of joy where your faith is concerned. There is no kind of joy greater than the kind you have when you finally recognize that God, sure enough, knows all that there is to know about you and still chooses you. (laughs) How much energy do you spend trying to keep God from knowing the real you? It's not working. We say it every week in the hopes that someday it'll sink through thick heads like mine. Knowing all that there is to know about you, knowing all that there is to know about the woman, knowing all that there is to know about the Pharisee. God's mind, Christ's mind is made up about all of the above. You, me, the woman, her. And the news is good. So the difference between the Pharisee and the woman is not whether or not God loves the Pharisee or the woman, because God loves each equally. Here's the difference. The Pharisee spends so much time and energy not being wrong that there's not enough time and energy left to absorb the grace of God. Listen. They are equally guilty, but the Pharisee doesn't know it. The Christian in this room is the woman.
Christian in the womb, in the room, in the womb? That's different. A lot of baby dedications today, sorry. (laughs) The Christian in the room is the one who has relied on the grace of God to restore her humanity, not the one who has relied on his own ability to articulate proper belief. Man. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Who, who is this one? Does he have the authority? Yes. He does. And by the way, what you read in Luke as being done by the person of Christ, you read in Acts as being done by the body of Christ. And so, as we hear in another gospel, Jesus grants the disciples, those filled by the Spirit, to do this incredible thing, and it's called forgiving sins and announcing you in God's eyes are fine. Now, be changed by it. Remember, the Pharisee had access to the same grace He just walled himself up, walled himself off, and wouldn't take advantage of it. I still see that a lot today. The same grace was available to both, but only one of them saw the need to receive it. Consequently, only one of them was Christian. Move it ahead for me because I think my battery is about gone. Would you move it ahead for me one more? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And here's where we'll stop. Your faith has salvaged you. In what? The capacity of God to forgive and restore. Your faith and the capacity of God to forgive and restore has salvaged your life, and she knows it. That's why she acts and reacts the way she does. Your faith in God's capacity to forgive and restore has saved you. Nothing else will. Dr. Tashin has uh, this great ritual that he works through at the Word and Table, and, I, and I've tried to figure out ways. I just don't say it as well as he does, <laughs> but he says it so well every week, but I'm going to try to encapsulate it, and I, and I don't want you to get funny because I want you to know I recognize here that this is going to be a little bit odd to, to some of you because you're not used to hearing somebody up here say this, but I'm going to say something to you that I've been granted the authority to say to you by virtue of my ordination, but more importantly, by virtue of my being amongst the baptized, and more importantly, by virtue of being someone who is trying to, as best I can, move according to the Spirit of Christ. Here's that something. Your sins are forgiven. Welcome. Welcome. Who is this person? Uh, This is Jesus forgiving in and through me. And your ability to go in peace is directly tied to your capacity to hear and receive the message of grace. My suspicion is 
that there were some Pharisees around Jesus, even when they were face to face with the opportunity and the possibility of the grace, my suspicion is that some of them still couldn't do it. Don't be that guy. Receive the grace that comes to you like a gift, as a gift. You've done nothing to earn it. You can't pay for it. That's why we ask you to come like this. We ask you to come like this as guilty poor people in need of bread. Guess what you get? Bread. Representative, weekly reminder of the forgiveness and the grace that are available to you if you're coming to help us Everything's over there, so if you'll meet Jason and Katie over there, we need to go ahead and move through this part of our service. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements, God, and may they be for us today tangible reminders of your grace and your forgiveness that are made available to us on a weekly basis. May we come to this table today more like the guilty now forgiven woman and less like the Pharisee so afraid to acknowledge any guilt at all. In other words, God, draw us to this table by your grace and send us out from this table in your grace. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left then you will come forward with your hands cupped because again, this is something that you get as a gift. It's all it is, it's a gift. You won't be allowed to snatch it out of the plate, this bread, but if you'll come with your hands cupped ready to receive the gift, the person holding the bread will snap off a small piece, press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup held by the person standing right there. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray and do the best you can to do your guilty, now forgiven woman imitation. I hope that you have this opportunity now to revel in the grace and the forgiveness that is yours, not because you are who you are, Pharisee, but because God is who God is. God is who God is. Find a place to pray. Perhaps it will be one of these side padded altars. We will assume that you need a place to pray a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there to pray that prayer for healing. Or you can come to any one of these kneeling benches and someone will meet you there and touch you to give you this sense that you are not alone as you pray. There is all the way over there, I think, Jason, is it over there? The bowl of water representative of your baptism, the same baptism that the Pharisees refused. You have opportunity to go and remember. Remember your baptism. Just dip your fingers in there. Not all the way up to your elbow, just your fingers. And remember that you are amongst the claimed of God. The set aside for God. A gathering, this odd gathering of people, this odd gathering of people whose main means of connection with one another is this, that we are the forgiven people of God. 
That's it. And as the forgiven people of God, we have a particular message that goes something like this. You are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, now broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. The same way later he took the cup, he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. All are invited to this table, all who are aware of their need for grace. Don't mock this experience, but if you're aware of your need for grace, this table is wide open for you. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. And now across the sanctuary, all of you who will, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come forward and receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
can see it now I can see the love in your eyes Laying yourself down Raising up the us an opportunity to say we can see the look in the eye of Christ as he looks at us, a sinner who comes to him. You may, through these words of the sermon, have maybe even for the very first time had a chance for Jesus to look into your heart, into your eyes, and to speak love over you. So if you would like to say yes to Jesus for the first time as Jesus comes to you in love and embrace you want to recognize that, yes, I want that warm embrace of Christ that offers, no matter where I've been or what I've done, an openness and embrace of forgiveness and of love. And so if these moments, if you want to say yes to that embrace, in these moments, say yes 
say, yes, Jesus, I accept and believe and want to live into your love and your embrace. It may not be for the first time, but perhaps you've done something in your life and you've said, I no longer am able to be loved by Jesus. If you want to say again, and again and again, for the second, for the third, for the fourth, for the hundredth time, yes, I say yes to Jesus who looks at me even now and says, I love you. Say yes again to the Jesus who loves you and embraces you no matter what. I want to pray for our our kids, many of whom made that decision at an altar on Thursday evening at last night of VBS, who said yes to Jesus as they caught a wave of God's amazing love this week. Lord, would you continue to seal those decisions and then now livelihoods as they follow after you. Not just for our kids, but for each of us and for all of us. Lord, now would you, as our kids learned on Thursday night, send us out into your world to love people, to spread the same love in which God you have embraced us. So Lord, may you make us more loving, more embracing. Lord, would we look like you in your Christ-likeness? Transform each of us and all of us by your grace. We cannot do it alone. God, we come to you today asking for your help. Some of us, God, as we pray this prayer, want to want this for our lives. Lord, call us and draw us. As we continue in prayer, we want to pray for a couple of different people and situations in which we want to ask for God's continued amazing grace, assistance, and healing and love. We want to ask God you'd be with Mark Carr and his family, Darcy, as he's been able to return home to Oklahoma City. Lord, be with their whole family, and God, may you surround them with your love and with your healing for Mark. Lord, I ask you to especially be with Oren White. Oren and Emily is Oren's resting in Deaconess Hospital. Thank you for their attendance and faithfulness here and ask for your healing in his life, especially his heart. There are many others, but the one that you're hearing now that's on your heart, the situation or life or person that you would ask for God to bring healing and restoration, as God puts that person's face or name in your mind, would you pray for them now? towards the Lord's Prayer, we do want to ask that God would come alongside people who have been victims of violence in the United States of America and around the world. Anybody who has undergone hurt, lost lives, and their families. God, in these moments as a congregation, we pray for peace and embrace in the midst of very difficult and at times very dark times. Lord, we do move to this prayer and we move to a prayer asking that God, you would change our hearts even as we pray it. So may we live into, want to, live into and believe in this prayer. We'll use this prayer using debts and debtors. And if you're unfamiliar with this prayer, you can see it on the screen in front of you. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 